0: like I'm down in here because we didn't like we won but I'm complaining about something normally and uh, so I won't complain about a red zone offense right now but uh... how how does Mike Leach uh, celebrate a win like that what are you gonna be doing tonight to, uh, to, to celebrate a big victory for you in this program I'm gonna get on a bus and I'm gonna ride for four hours to uh, Starkville, Mississippi. Now, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty, but when that ball went through the uprights, it was one of the prettiest things I'd ever seen. We just beat LSU on the road, go Hawks. Yeah, great team win for us. Always good to uh, keep the Mayor's Cup where it belongs in the city of Columbia. You like that? Could have gone to either Columbia. 10-0, undefeated in the SEC. Uh, that's where we've got. It makes no guarantee for what's gonna happen in the future. Uh, we got a lot of guys that we've got to try to get better. And, and improve. And um, we got to tackle better. There's a lot of things we can work on to get better. And you know what I love? Is the Ben in that locker room over there beside me. They all know that. And uh, nobody thinks they've arrived.
1: Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a great show lined up for today news and notes around the SEC, as well as I am going to reveal my SEC Coach of the Year, break down the five candidates that I think are most deserving for the award and ultimately who I voted for as well as uh, pros and cons for all of them. But, hey, we got all kinds of action here in the SEC. Now all 14 teams, of course, have a head coach. If you missed it, I'm sure you haven't by now. If you listen to this show, Brian Kelly the new head coach of LSU. Covered that on the last episode. If you you missed it, go back and watch that. But, man, just, you know, now that we've had about 24 hours to sit and, and think about this, LSU, if you listen to this on a Wednesday, he is going to be officially announced by the school. He's officially done with Notre Dame. He's now the LSU coach. And, you know, I thought one of the most interesting Statistics that came out after Brian Kelly was named the LSU coach came from uh, Chris Felica of ESPN, the Bear they call him on uh, ESPN College Game Day. Best winning percentage in FBS football since 2017. This is according again to Chris Felica. Alabama's number one, 62 and 5. Ohio State's right behind him, 55 and 7. Clemson, 60 and 8. Georgia just behind him with a 56 and 9. And Notre Dame, 54-9. and nine. So that's a credit to the job that uh, Brian Kelly has done there at Notre Dame and what uh, LSU will be expecting from him from here on out. The official deals of his contract have been released. Ten-year deal, $95 million. The $95 million man. We got to start calling him that after uh, th- that's all people want to say with Jimbo. $75 million, man. Every loss. That LSU suffers under Brian Kelly, which, given his contract, they expect it won't be many. We st- we gotta call him the 95 million dollar man, or we this is what we if he my, God forbid he starts out three and two, uh, all the tweets are gonna be getting for that. But he's also got a, an incentive laden contract that's likely gonna push this contract to over 100 million dollars for the ten years. Every time he makes a bowl game, for instance, he gets a 500 thousand dollar bonus. LSU's went to the postseason 20 years in a row, so aside from last year's COVID deal, of course, but Brian Kelly's going to clean up on this deal. Uh, Three-time National Coach of the Year, according to LSU. 284 career wins, 97 losses, two ties. And if you consider his record there at uh, Grand Valley State, which I know is a Division II school, but uh, Brian Kelly's actually got more wins in college football than old Nick Saban. So LSU's touting this as the winningest coach in college football. And, hey, they have every right to, if you count those uh, Grand Valley records. Twelve years he was at Notre Dame. And he's all-time number one in Notre Dame, 113 victories ahead of Newt Rockney. And in 12 years at Notre Dame, 113 and 40, including 54 and 9. Over the last five seasons, he went to the BCS National Championship game, led the Fighting Irish to two college football playoff appearances. And aside from the money, which is obvious, uh, obviously nice, I would imagine he's getting a significant pay bump here to jump from Notre Dame to LSU. But why is he doing this? You know, we'll hear from uh, Brian Kelly here on Wednesday, but you got to believe, hell, even Notre Dame, they're somewhat in the thick of uh, the race right now. I believe they're number six in the uh, – Brand new college football playoff rankings, so they just need a couple upsets. They're in the top four. What this says to me, Brian Kelly does not uh, believe that, you know, at Notre Dame you're, you're capable of winning national championships. This this guy's as LSU touts the winningest coach in college football. Why is he leaving such a good situation to come down here, getting the the meat grinder of the SEC? It'll soon be we see we got Lincoln Riley running from the challenge. Now we got uh, Brian Kelly diving headfirst in. Again, I know the money, that's got to (laughs) help. That's got to help. But at the end of the day, I think Brian Kelly, just like uh, a lot of these, you know, any ambitious coach, he wants to win it all, wants to win that national championship. He's going to have that opportunity at LSU. The last three coaches, hell, they've all won national championships. And he's even got a clause in his contract. If he wins a national championship at LSU and gets fired for any reason, Following that championship, without cause, of course, I'm, I'm not talking scandal here. But let's say a year or two later, they they kind of fall off a cliff like they did with Coach O. Brian Kelly gets 100% of the whatever's left on his deal, whether it's 90 million, 80 million, 70 million, what have you. But only at LSU would they write that into the contract. You win a national title, doesn't matter what uh, when we kick you to the curb, you get all your money. So he's getting security. He's getting that check. Everything's nice there in Baton Rouge. We'll get to hear from Brian Kelly here on his decision on Wednesday. And, you know, the only other thing, it's kind of bugging me a little bit. I mean, I guess shouldn't be surprised by anything you hear these days, but so many people upset with uh, Brian Kelly for how he left. And, you know, I guess he had a didn't meet with his players right away. He had a 7 a.m. meeting, only met with them for 10 minutes. I mean, come on. What? When's the best time to leave? The guy gave Notre Dame 12 years. Hell of a run there. Great legacy. I don't think this tarnishes his legacy whatsoever. I understand folks saying, well, maybe they would have won a national championship. Give me a damn break. They, If they face Georgia, Alabama, Ole Miss right now, they get their ass whooped. Throw in Michigan, Ohio State, all those teams. So I ain't buying that. It sucks. You know, there's no good time to leave. But – Hey, he manned up. He went and met with his teams. That's that's better than some coaches have been known to do. So, yeah, that kind of pissed me off. I'm not sitting here saying, uh, kissing Brian Kelly's ass, saying he's the greatest coach and the greatest guy by any means. I've, you know, just go on Twitter. You'll you'll see some stories uh, suggesting otherwise. But I just don't get the uh, the vitriol. Kind of the same goes for Lincoln Riley. These Oklahoma fans are all pissed off at him gave him several good years, not a one-and-done situation. Did a great job while he was there. Both these coaches did. But, hey, it's on a bigger and better, and that's why Brian Kelly is jumping ship to the SEC because at the end of the day, we all know, even though the rest of the teams and programs and coaches, they all know it too. The SEC is where is it at? And if you ain't in the SEC, you're just at a lower level of football and you're not getting tested week in, week out. And if you're not going to be in the NFL – the next best thing's the SEC, and hey, this is proved yet again, Billy Napier, now Brian Kelly, come on down to the SEC. Now, we don't have uh, much official news on Brian Kelly's staff here, but uh, Pete Sampson, I believe he covers Notre Dame for The Athletic, he has uh, issued this. Uh, Brian Kelly is trying to bring defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman, who of course uh, Coach O tried to bring to LSU last offseason. So, Hey, in a roundabout way, Marcus Freeman, highly regarded defensive coordinator. He may find his way to Baton Rouge after all. Now, again, this is doesn't mean it's going to happen because there's speculation. Marcus Freeman, very popular in uh, South Bend, Indiana. I listened to a, a podcast of some of the Notre Dame players. Everybody's got podcasts. Even players got podcasts these days. But they all supported uh, the idea of Marcus Freeman becoming the full-time head coach. Now, clearly what the players think is it's not going to factor into what the AD does up here in Notre Dame, but I've heard it from other places, too. So you can't rule out Marcus Freeman being the next head coach at Notre Dame. I've also heard if uh, Luke Fickle were to leave Cincinnati, Marcus Freeman would be an ideal candidate to take over there. So, you know, there's still dominoes to fall here. But what would be interesting, Kelly would plan to make Freeman the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football, according to pete sampson so hey they're putting their best effort forward uh, once again uh, to bring marcus freeman here to baton she probably would have been there already if uh, coach O was not on a hot seat already so we'll find out uh, more definitive plans here in the days and weeks to come but uh, i would imagine with the signing day coming up pretty quick lsu is going to try to get this uh, recruiting class together quickly And I do know that uh, the current defensive coordinator, Durante Jones, he's still out on the road recruiting. So they haven't sent those guys, asked him to come in off the road, which, you know, you don't want to read too much into that, but that tells me he ain't been fired yet. You know, uh, it's probably a contingency plan, and that's got to be a tough position for Durante Jones. But who knows what uh, is going to happen with Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman may not come down, and, yeah, Durante Jones not the biggest name, but, hell, this defense for LSU has really turned the corner and fighting hard for him. So there's a chance that uh, he returns. Now, I would not expect Marcus Freeman and Durante Jones to come be on staff next season because it, one of those guys is not going to take a demotion to be on LSU's staff next season. But we'll just have to see where that goes. And, and one other nugget here for uh, the Tigers, Eli Ricks, the uh, all- American freshman corner there. Now, obviously, just got done with his sophomore season, entered the transfer portal. He was on a Jordy Collada's show, friend of the program, here on Tuesday, and he said that uh, Brian Kelly getting hired at Baton Rouge does not change his plans at all. He's going to stay in the transfer portal, not returning to LSU. That is the plan right now for Eli Ricks. All right, so Billy Napier, of course, hired by Florida. Brian Kelly at LSU, one candidate. Rumored, you know, who knows how involved he really was, but I think he was somewhat involved there with the uh, LSU search to be sure. Mark Stoops down at Kentucky, he has agreed to a contract extension. And these are the way these things work. Lincoln Riley, that domino falls, you know, 24 hours later, Brian Kelly to LSU. 24 hours after that, Mark Stoops got him an extension. I mean, you know, you got to put the pieces together there. Uh, From what I understand, Kentucky has uh, given Mark Stoops assurances that they're going to uh, upgrade. I think it's the practice facility, indoor facility up there in Lexington. That was something that he wanted, uh, added budget for recruiting. Kentucky is recruiting at an all-time high clip under Mark Stoops, but you you always got to be adding to that recruiting budget in the SEC because it's competitive as hell. We all know that. But great news for Kentucky fans, Mark Stoops, who was already set to get a contract extension to 2027, now has a contract through 2028. And, you know, we've mentioned it here on this show. Maybe you're a new listener. Maybe you've, you've not heard this before. But Mark Stoops really does have the best contract in all of college football. And that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, maybe he never leaves Kentucky. Maybe he shouldn't because by the time he leaves, depends on how long he stays and what he wins. I mean, they may rename this Mark Stoops Stadium or have a statue outside uh, of, of it. I mean, he has got a role in there. They're recruiting better than ever. They're on-the-field results are as good as ever. And why I say he's uh, got the best contract in all of college football, he's already paid as a top 20 head coach in the country. And if he wins seven games in a season like he has this year, he gets an automatic one year added to his deal. If he wins 10 games in a year, he gets two years added to his deal. So Kentucky wins a bowl game this year, bam, he gets another year added to his contract, and that's for the length of his deal. There's no one else in college football that I'm aware of has that deal, and I know Kentucky, the, the expectations has have been raised. I believe it was Landon Young said it best, you know, we're going to go 9-3 and three this year, and we're pissed off about it. That is... That ain't Kentucky of old. That's Kentucky under Mark Stoops. Nine and three. It feels somewhat of a letdown after the hot start. I believe they were 6-0 coming out the gate before uh, the three-game losing streak. But that's the new standard there. And you ain't hearing many people that it may be a disappointing season, but you ain't hearing anybody saying, we got to run Mark Stoops off so we can get something better in here. Uh Uh-uh. I mean, Mark Stoops is Kentucky football. So, you know, all things considered. I think Mark Stoops is in a great spot there in Kentucky. He's got, He's getting paid top dollar. He's got a friendly contract. He's got reasonable expectations. And clearly he's help, happy there. And now they're recruiting more into uh, the state of Tennessee than they ever have before, already dominating in Ohio. They're starting to reach down into Georgia to get some good players. They've always recruited Florida really well. Just keep that. Blueprint going, and uh, you know, this Kentucky football program's not going anywhere anytime soon. Now, one other update here we still don't, I'm checking now, I'll make sure, but uh, we still don't have a hire for the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, the expectation still is Brent Venables, but the longer this thing goes, and no Brent Venables. Tennessee fans are getting a little uneasy in their seat. Cousin Shane, he wakes up in the morning. He shoots me a text. Uh, Oklahoma, hire a coach. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't think uh, Josh Heupel, I don't even think he'd be on their radar, to be honest with you. But, hell, maybe he would be uh, at this point. I don't think uh, he's on their radar at all. But to ease your any volunteers, fans out there, uh, Josh Heupel was recently on uh, – WNML, the Knoxville radio station, show, with Eric Ainge. Eric Ainge's show, former Tennessee quarterback, who has got a show down there in Knoxville. And according to Eric Ainge, Josh Hypel was the one that wanted to come on the show to kind of clear up uh, any speculation out there with the Oklahoma job. So let's kick it over to Josh Heupel when asked about uh, you know all the speculation with uh, Oklahoma job being open. Coach, yeah, uh, you know, it's been fun getting
0: to know you and watching you coach here. I think you're a phenomenal X's and O's guy, phenomenal motivator. I think your players love you. All of those things are necessary to build something long term. We're glad to have you here, but I got to ask a question. Do you get a when you're a good coach like you are, something opens. There's there's a rumor. There's something flying, and I know you you you've been an Oklahoma guy. I know you appreciate your time there, playing, coaching, and everything. But like, what, what's what's up with the Oklahoma deal, Coach? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, as uh, as you build a successful program uh, with your your staff and players, uh, certainly you know your name has an opportunity to come up uh, for different openings. Um, I just you know, for myself and my family, we absolutely love Knoxville, and and uh, we came to Tennessee uh, because of the power of the T. Uh, believed in the power of the fan base, and and the opportunity to build something extremely special. It's a program that's top 10 in the history of college football wins and first round draft picks, um, you know, and, and had been through, you know, some uncertainty in, in recent times, but uh, we love being in Knoxville. Uh, that's home for us. I love being in the building with our staff and our players, And I know I uh, feel stronger today than I did 10 months ago when I first took the job about what we're going to be able to do and how quickly we're going to be able to get there. I, I know Uh, we're building a a championship caliber football team and program and um, excited to continue on that that venture uh, with our current players and
1: staff all right so he didn't give the old uh, jimbo i'd be a fool to go down there (laughs) but you know this is a this is a denial that uh you know he's interested in it he's staying in knoxville wants to be there for years to come this is about uh Almost as adamant as you're going to get Josh Heupel. He's a little coach-speaky at times. But I think if you're a Tennessee fan, that uh, settles you in a little bit. He's been busy. He's on the road recruiting for the Vols, sending out tweets left and right to support Vol Nation, kind of ease them a little bit. But I think uh, you know he felt that uh, this would be something that uh, would help his case as well. So, hey, all indications Josh Heupel going to be staying around, that Josh Hype will be sticking around at Tennessee and it's also my understanding that Hypel's uh, contract, let's say he were to leave at any point during this calendar year, and even in 2022, his buyout to leave is eight million dollars, and that's incredibly high to leave a program and owe eight million dollars. For you know reference, you know not every contract's the same. But Jimbo Fisher down at A&M, he's got no buyout. He can walk out the door tomorrow, not owe Texas A&M anything. Now. The reason Texas A&M feels secure with that is uh, because they gave him about $90 million guaranteed. So if he walks out tomorrow, he ain't getting any of that $90 million. So the only reason he'd be leaving would be for uh, more money and a better situation. And and he obviously didn't feel that he'd be getting that at LSU. So that's just an example. But you got to feel that uh, you know if someone's going to hire Josh Heupel, they're going to have to turn around and give him a mega contract. They're going to have to turn around and give Tennessee 8000000 million. They're going to have to turn around and hire a new staff. They're probably going to have to fire you know, their coach, pay buyouts there, buyout assistance, all that type of deal. So it would be a very, very costly move. And I know Tennessee fans are high on Josh Heupel. They think he's the best damn coach in the SEC. But is he really worth all that? We don't even know this guy can recruit at a high level. So. I think it's safe to say Josh Heupel, again, will be staying with Tennessee for the foreseeable future. Get back to me in 2023. If the Vols continue to rise and Josh Heupel ain't got a contract extension and that $8 million buyout goes down, get back to me uh, in 2023. But all right, hey, I've been teasing this for a little while here. Just wanted to give my thoughts on SEC Coach of the Year. And I got five candidates. These are the guys that, uh, you know, by the end of the regular season, these are the guys that I think are most deserving for recognition for coach of the year. I'm going to run through each one of these, the pros, the cons. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's really, this is a very subjective ranking. You could go almost any of these guys. And, you know, I would not have a complaint with any of them winning it. But I'm going to give you, again, my pros and cons for each of them and ultimately who I would vote for for SEC Coach of the Year. And first on the docket here, Kirby Smart, Georgia Bulldogs. I think the list has to start with Kirby. The case for Kirby, well, they've been dominant. In in a year of college football where we got Alabama getting tested left and right, Ohio State's lost two games. Outside of Cincinnati, who don't play anybody, I don't believe there's another undefeated team out there. I th- there may be one at uh, like Sun Belt or or some stupid conference like that, but it's Georgia, and basically every single buddy else is a mile down from them Georgia Bulldogs. And that comes after, you know, we all thought J.T. Daniels was a savior. This is the answer. This is the guy that's going to put Georgia over the top. Last season came out red hot. Four games there, just totally revolutionized the Georgia offense. And then he gets hurt. He's been banged up most of the year. Uh, The the big game he played, Clemson, it was later revealed he was injured in that game. And he's been basically sidelined ever since, more or less. And we've had to go to the bench and and get Stetson Bennett, a guy that uh, if Georgia fans are being honest with you, they were ready to move on from him. If you would have told Georgia in in the offseason Stetson Bennett's going to be their guy that's starting most of the year, they would have said, my God, Florida's going to win the East again because Stetson – can't get it done and how much criticism from myself included has Kirby faced for uh, you know his handling of this situation not getting JT Daniels ready to play when he had the option Stenson Bennett is he really going to be your guy Well, help Stenson Bennett's made huge strides he the, the offense is very very efficient there in Athens it's no longer a question mark they are one of the best offenses in the country. And that goes along. I haven't even mentioned the defense yet. We all know this this literally might be the best defense of all time. I mean, they are just stifling people, and that's Kirby's side of the ball. In addition to, uh, you know, JT Dales being injured, we've had George Pickens. He's played one game. He's had one catch. Don Blaylock, he's gotten hurt. Jermaine Burton, Kiaris Jackson, Kendall Milton, all those guys have missed time. Adam Anderson. He's been out. Tyke Smith, he's out for the year. Eric Gilbert. remember how big of a deal that was? He's not even played a damn down yet for the Georgia Bulldogs. Jalen Kimber, season ending injury. Usually when I bring off a list like that it, I'm, I'm saying these names it's like, well, this is why we went eight and four this year. This is why we went seven and five. That's why this side of the ball has been a disaster. It's been nothing but, it's been a complete opposite of a disaster down there in Athens. I mean, since the opener, which was a 10 to 3 win over Clemson on a neutral field, uh, the next closest game Georgia has faced is a 24 point win at Auburn, and this is a, this wasn't crumbling Auburn. This was Auburn playing their best football of the season. They still went on the plains, beat them by 24. Hell, we just saw Alabama took four overtimes to do to beat Auburn on the plains. Georgia's averaged 40 points a game in SEC play and they're allowing just over eight points in SEC play that's a resume right there of a a SEC coach of the year now cases against Kirby I think these are valid Georgia arguably the most talented team in the country and I've been the guy all offseason saying this is the team that's going to win the east they're going to win the SEC they're going to win the national championship so in a sense they just kind of lived up to what I thought they'd be even though a little bit better on offense with Stetson Bennett in there, I thought you know I thought maybe they'd be doing this with JT Daniels, but you know maybe you dock Kirby a little bit because this is what he's supposed to be doing with this type of roster. I don't see Ohio State doing it though. I don't see Alabama doing it. I heard they were going to do it. Texas, where are they at? They're in the damn dump. So having the talent alone, LSU, Texas A&M, same deal. They got they may not have as good a roster as Georgia, but they ain't far off, and they they are far off when you look at the results on the field. Another case made against Kirby, perhaps, schedule. Not as daunting, being in the FCC, of course. you Really only played two road games, if we're being honest with ourselves, at Auburn and at Tennessee. The other away games, if you can call that, Charlotte for the Clemson game, Jacksonville for the Florida game, and then at Vanderbilt and at Georgia Tech. They may not be in between the hedges, but... It was not a hostile environment. I can guarantee you that. So those are the cases against Kirby winning SEC Coach of the Year. Now, how about Sam Pittman from Arkansas? I mean, you got to put him on the list, right? Eight and four in year two of his program. And you got to remember, I mean, this this was a damn – they were Vanderbilt of the SEC, literally. I mean, they were that bad. They may have been worse. That's how god-awful Arkansas was just two years ago. Now, like I said, year two – 8-4, 8 and 4 many were saying this was the the toughest schedule in the country you got Texas on the schedule including uh only what was it three home games in SEC play at in Razorback Stadium my god how many coaches would have went 8 and 4 under that not that many he snapped several streaks this year Texas A&M 9 game streak snapped LSU 5 game streak snapped Missouri 5 game streak snapped Arkansas some snap, <laughs> some street snappers this year, if you want to call them that. And uh, you know Sam Pittman gets credit for leading the charge there. How about this? They own all the rivalry trophies. We kind of made a big deal about that. From same teams, A and M, LSU, and Mizzou. Those are all trophy games. This is the first time Arkansas has held all three of those at the same time. That's a hell of a job, right there. Destroyed Texas. I know some people probably roll their eyes at this point, saying. Who in the hell cares? Texas sucks. Very, very few people picking Arkansas to beat Texas. I don't know who. I think, um, you know, one doofus podcast guy did. But beyond that, not a lot of people outside the state of Arkansas were picking the Razorbacks to beat Texas. And not only did they beat them, they whooped the hell out of them. I mean, they just completely dominated. They basically ruined Texas's bubble. Ruined, I mean, Sarkisian was up for coach. Someone put him up for damn coach of the year. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, I don't know if he's won a damn game. After this Arkansas game, they spanked him that bad. So that you got to get a ton of credit for. People just maybe don't understand that rivalry between Texas and Arkansas and just how big of a deal that was to the Razorback Nation to get that win at home, year two. This is a game fans have been waiting and waiting and waiting for, and they just pants them on national television. The offense took a huge step. Man, there was a, a lot of people didn't think KJ Jeff- – Hell, 24-7 sports had KJ Jefferson as the 14th best quarterback in the SEC. <laughs> oh, God, that's so stupid. Uh, but, the A, the offensive line took strides this year. I'm just saying, the offense took a big step, and the defense – you know, Barry Odom's unit has been – they've had you know, some highs and highs, but they also had some lows, lows in year one. They've been far more consistent this season. That's also a good thing. And, and, of course, you know, I mentioned the offensive line. I think that's been night and day different under Sam Pittman this season. And, of course, we know that's his baby there. So, I give him credit for that more than just about anybody. Now, the case against Sam Pittman, bad hope loss to Auburn. He admitted after that when he got out coached by Brian Harson and you just can't have Bo Nix come in there and, and rip you apart like he did. Arkansas had opportunities to win that football game, kept making mistakes. Turnovers were paramount, you know, some missed penalties. Some, there was a lot of things wrong with that game, but at the end of the day, you gotta got to get it done at home against Auburn. That's, that's a tough one for me to overlook. You went to Georgia, you got outclassed. There was a college game day that was game of the week. You know, this was Arkansas's opportunity to uh, showcase to the rest of the country that uh, they're, they're back on the national stage and they got goose egged. 37 to 0, I think, was the final score. Now, Georgia's whipped the hell out of everybody. So I don't dock to you too much for that. But at the same time, you got to keep it competitive, I think, if you're going to be coach of the year, in my mind. You lost to Ole Miss, Elaine Kiffin, who we'll get to in a minute, but he's on this list. And I know that game was on the road. It came down to the final play, so again, I don't dock you too much for that, but it's still somewhat of a negative. And then how about this? Only one, one true road game, and that was at LSU in overtime after they fired their coach. Not trying to make excuses here, but I think Coach of the Year has got to win more than uh, one game on the road in the SEC. Next coach considered Lane and Ole Miss. Case for Lane Kiffin, of course, first 10-win regular season in school history. I mean, that is outstanding. Won the Egg Bowl in Starkville. That's a lot harder than uh, it may sound here for for fans that know this rivalry. Going down to Starkville with those cowbells on Thanksgiving, you know, that, that game is the Super Bowl of the state of Mississippi, and Lane Kiffin won it yet again. Won in Na- Knoxville. Tennessee was pretty hot at that time and we all remember (laughs) how incredibly incredibly hostile that crowd was we got to give Lane Kiffin credit for uh you know keeping his team's composure and you know that scene could have got even uglier if he didn't have control of his team it was that was not Ole Miss's fault aside from the fake injuries but uh you know the refs it was really directed at the refs more than anything but Hey, they kept their composure on the road, got that win after the twenty-minute delay, so we got to give them props for that. Uh, Matt Corral, of course, got banged up this season, yet they continued to win. Top three receivers were at one point or another down for the uh, down and out for games in the SEC. Overcame that. Several offensive linemen were down during the SEC schedule, and how about this? Probably the biggest thing that uh, gets overlooked there in Oxford. The defense no longer a joke. I mean, they're no longer a liability. I mean, they against Tennessee, against Mississippi State. Uh, you know, they had several games here where they stood up. The, the opener in Louisville, they were outstanding. This defense, it's not one of the best in the SEC. I'm not going crazy here, but they were one of the worst units in the all in the entire country. And now, at times, they were a strength. So we give Lane Kiffin credit for uh, having his defense make that big turnaround. Now, the case against Lane Kiffin? We all love going for fourth down and going for two and all this craziness, but he got too aggressive at times. I think, you know, that really blew up in his face, particularly against Alabama. Couldn't uh, punch it in there a couple times in in the red zone and some of the going for it on fourth down, being able to to not get it. That plagued him all season, really. I mean, even in the Egg Bowl gave Mississippi State some momentum early. I just didn't like there's a there's aggressive there's a fine line between too aggressive and, and being aggressive enough he was too aggressive i thought at times this year and it, it really blew up in his face there in the alabama game they weren't great in the red zone either he's supposed to be this uh, fabulous play caller, which which he is he's got this outstanding quarterback should be a heisman finalist yet they were 12th in the sec and scoring efficiency in the red zone so i don't know that hurts and then you know i i don't know how much this is Blame Kiffin to blame, but the fake injuries, I just can't get over that. I mean, that, if he was totally against that, he could end it. He could get them to stop faking injuries, but I think he's coaching them to do it. So, uh, you got announcers week in and week out saying, you know, this is an issue. You got opposing coaches coming out here and saying this is an issue. We got to have this addressed, and they will address it in the offseason. So, anytime they make up a rule to stop what you're doing, Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can give you Coach of the Year based on that. All right, how about the case for Josh Heupel? Tennessee, four games better this season than they were last season. Let's throw up this graphic from uh, the SID down there in, in Tennessee. Bill Martin did a good job with this. But uh, Tennessee, like I said, four games better than they were last year. And the only Power Five year coach I can match at, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, biggest turnaround Among first-year FBS coaches, and you know, so why the the edge over Pipel? Well, he just beat the hell out of South Carolina in the Gamecocks, and that was a game. Some people had, most people had as a toss-up going into the season. Uh, Tennessee was favoring that game, but just walloped them. Tennessee outscored South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt 152 to 65. And hey, I know that's probably not going to sound that impressive. Again, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vandy, but. These were the teams that uh, everybody was grouping Tennessee in with this going into the season. Now, I didn't necessarily have it that way, so but the vast majority of people did. One at Missouri, one at Kentucky, two and two on the road in his first season at Tennessee. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And I you know, obviously the biggest thing with Josh Heupel, the offense went from unwatchable to can't miss in one single off season. Handen Hooker, he made him a star. Cedric Tillman, one of the more productive receivers in the SEC. That guy was basically nothing before this. I think he had seven career catches. Now he's a 1,000-yard receiver, I believe, or or he's just a few yards short of being a 1,000-yard receiver. He's Tennessee's best receiver now. And after losing Eric Gray, Ty Chandler, the, the running game didn't take a hit. I mean, they were more explosive than ever. So... Josh Heupel gets a ton of credit for that and we can't we have such short-term memory. You got to remember that uh you know I poke fun of uh, all the ESPN and CBS for their graphics and stuff, but Tennessee was really ravaged by the transfer portal. I saw Barrett Salee, who I think he does a great job, I don't mean to poke fun of him, but you know, he said Tennessee won't go to a bowl game for 5 years based on all these losses. And he wasn't alone. Uh, a lot of people thought this was basically uh You know, NCAA sanction without an NCAA sanction with all the guys they had lost. So, hey, he overcame that. I thought that was impressive. And, you know, one thing that that can't be lost, I know he's not the defensive coordinator, but I thought the defense played above their head for most of the season. We thought this would be one of the worst units in the SEC. And, you know, they were average most of the time, but uh, really good tackles for loss, forcing turnovers. They played above their heads, and they don't have any depth whatsoever. A lot of key guys there for the Vols who have never had to play significant minutes. Now they're starters and they're key players. So, again, that is a credit to Josh Heupel. Now, the case against Heupel started Joe Milton to start the year. I cannot get over that. Still to this day, no idea what in the hell he was thinking with that. Now, we give him a little bit of credit for pulling the plug and going with uh, Hendon Hooker, obviously, for the uh, – after the pit game, but hell, that may have cost you the pit game by starting Joe Milton and all his overthrows. and So I hold that against him. Now, it, it basically took an injury to Joe Milton to get Henning Hooker in there too. So, you know, you can make that case. Not a great home record for jo- Josh Heupel this year. lost to Pitt, lost to Ole Miss, lost to Georgia. Again, don't really hold much against him for losing to Georgia. I don't lose... Georgia's so damn good this year that uh, you know they're going to run through whoever they face. But could have won that Ole Miss game, should have won that Pitt game, in my opinion. These are the games you got to win, particularly if you're going to be SEC Coach of the Year. And at the end of the day, I've made this point before, in the SEC, all he did is he beat Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. I don't think that's good enough, in my opinion, to be uh, winning SEC Coach of the Year. Now last, Mike Leach, Mississippi State. I know the, the season kind of ended on a dud there. But, hell, again, one of the most improved teams in the SEC. Mississippi State went from 4-7 and seven to 7-5 seven and five this year with one of the youngest rosters in the SEC. Several wins over ranked opponents, NC State, Texas A&M, Kentucky, and Auburn. By the time uh, they were beating all those teams, they were all ranked. And I think that's uh, right at the top four wins over ranked teams. I don't know if anyone else has done that this year. And how about this? Again, very hard to remember. We got short term memories, uh, but Will Rogers, you know, he was a question mark to start the season. There was a guy they brought in, Jack Abram, I think his name was, Southern Miss. I mean, this was a quarterback battle. What? With Jack Abram? <laughs> Who the hell's that? Now, on the other side, Will Rogers, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the entire country. Now, that's somewhat to be expected with this system, but hey, it's not like flipping a switch because uh, Will Rogers was not. Very good at this time last year. He was pretty average. Now he's elite. So we got to give Mike Leach credit for that, getting the most out of his quarterback yet again. Wins at A&M, at Auburn, a 3-2 and two road record. Mississippi State, that is one hell of a coaching job, and the defense remained one of the SEC's most underrated units. So that's a case for Leach. What about the case against? Lost the Egg Bowl at home. It's hard to be SEC Coach of the Year. You lose your key game there. You lost to Memphis. I know it's horrible officiating, but you still you get a loss there. Special teams were an issue for the Bulldogs, and you lost three home games. LSU probably should have won that. Already mentioned the Ole Miss. And then you lost to Alabama. That's forgivable, but you lost by 40 points. And, again, this is an Alabama team that nearly lost to Arkansas, LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee gave him a run for their money. So losing by 40, it's tough to overlook. It really is. So it just spieled on quite a bit there. <laughs> Who am I voting? Giving the, the for and against there for those SEC coaches. I'm giving my vote to Kirby Smart. I think it's the year. And it just goes back to what I said. I mean, this is, it's Georgia and it's everybody else. I don't think, you know, there's not been a team that's come, even to Clemson, even though that was uh, the the final score was close, there was never any doubt that uh, Clemson was, (laughs) there was never any danger, I thought, of Clemson winning that football game. And Georgia basically broke them. And again, this is a Georgia team that's had so many injuries, but it's not affected the team whatsoever. There's been no letdown. They are just stampeding into the SEC championship. And if they beat, Alabama they're gonna go on and they're gonna win the national championship hell even if they lose to Alabama they're probably still gonna go on and win the national championship so my vote Kirby Smart most outstanding coach of the SEC he shall be coach of the year for the 2021 season now speaking of that SEC championship game want to hit on this real quick because uh Hey, again, we got this SEC championship game. It should be one hell of a game. Everybody and their mother, I think, is going to be picking Georgia, unless you're a diehard Alabama fan. Well, one account here on Twitter, I recommend everybody follow it. I'm going to throw up his graphic here in a minute. But he goes by Stats O'War. The guy's name is Parker. He runs a website, CFB Graphs. I uh, discovered him this season, and he does a really good job with uh, all he's doing. He has a computer model. These are not opinions. These are number-based systems. And he creates graphics for projecting winners of college football games. Does a really good job. Again, that's CFBGraphs.com and his Twitter handle, StatsOWar. Go follow Parker there. But he put out a graphic. I'll throw it up on the screen here. Projected winner of the SEC championship game, Alabama, Alabama. And when I threw that out there, everybody, (laughs) there were some hurt, hurt bulldogs who, hell, (laughs) just because, uh, you know, data analysis says, and it's not like he was saying they're going to get whooped by any means. Here's what it says as I'm pulling it up here, but uh, you can see it on the screen there. According to his numbers, Alabama has a 50.6% chance of winning this game. So barely over 50, and Georgia, 49.39%. So, hey, we're talking the slimmest of slim margins, but uh, the fact that uh, projected points for Alabama, 33.8, whereas Georgia, 33.6, again, the slimmest of slimmest margins. I mean, the, the real takeaway here is basically Parker's saying this will be a toss-up game. Anyway, you slice it. Now, how can he come to this conclusion given that uh Alabama's banged up, they've not been playing that well, Georgia's getting healthy, they're running through everybody. Again, this is a computer model. This is not I don't think it can equate, you know, who's banged up and and things of that nature going into a game. But Parker put out a video explaining his model, and I thought it was pretty valuable, so go check that out as well, but uh, you know, simply put, if you can look at the model here as on the YouTube page, if you're just listening to this, basically Georgia, as you'd expect, I mean across the board, they have the advantage when they're on defense and Alabama's on offense, of course. And that's just a factor of Georgia's defense being so special. But when Georgia's on offense and Alabama's on defense, Alabama's got some advantages in this game. And the key advantage according to this model, is the fact that Georgia runs so often on early downs. And Alabama is really, really good at stopping the run and limiting explosive plays on the ground. So what's the takeaway there? The takeaway is Todd Bunkin has got to go to the air, particularly on first down, based on these numbers, to have advantage success against Alabama's defense. Will Georgia be able to break their tendency, throw on first down, stay ahead of the chains and have success on Alabama? That's going to be a key to the game. Georgia's passing efficiency is elite. They have a lot of success when they go to the air while Alabama, not as good defending the pass as they are the run. So again, this sets up well for Georgia if Stetson Bennett and Todd Bunkin can draw up some plays on early downs to have success against Alabama in Atlanta. That's going to be critical. Now, again, this graph is not saying Alabama's going to beat the hell out of Georgia. They're basically saying it's a toss-up game. But Georgia struggles on third downs on offense. And Alabama, again, very, very good at stopping teams on third downs. So, that again, that's, a, that's an advantage to Alabama. So, if Georgia cannot have success on those early downs. If they continue to stick to the run game and they do not have explosive runs, they're going to get in third and long, and that's going to favor Alabama. So, again, that's a matchup. You got to hope that uh, if you're a Georgia fan, Stetson Bennett can connect with his receivers and tight ends and running backs on first down and have success. That really is going to be key to this game. Now, like I said, Georgia is elite on, on defense. We know that. We know that, but they should have an advantage basically anytime Alabama has the football. And that is particularly the case when Alabama struggles. Alabama does not have much success running the ball, particularly right now with the struggles on their offensive line. Alabama's having a lot of success through the passing game, but where do they struggle? In the red zone. We saw it against AM, we saw it against LSU, we saw it against Arkansas, we saw it against Tennessee. Turnovers in the red zone. Bryce Young making mistakes. Can Georgia force them to do the same? Alabama's very, very efficient passing the ball according to these numbers. while again, Georgia runs the football a lot, but is not overly efficient at doing so. So got to get to the air early that's the key takeaway and that is going to be something to watch in this sec championship we'll have to find out how often they go to the air or maybe if kirby and company they sit here and say hey we've been having so much success going to the we've had so much success on offense let's just keep what we're let's just keep doing what we're doing i think that would be a recipe for potential disaster here in atlanta and that's basically what these numbers are saying so If Georgia doesn't mix it up, they try to do what they've been doing all season long, they're going to find themselves in a ball game, in a 50-50 type game, even though they are nearly a touchdown favorite here in Atlanta. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Hope you guys appreciated going around the league here. Who knows what we're going to have to talk about on the next episode, but hey, I'll be breaking down some uh, all-SEC selections I got coming you know, we just did the coaches that the, uh, my coach ballot. I hope you guys appreciated that. Next episode, I think I'm gonna try to get my all SEC offense, and then maybe the following day, all SEC defense. We'll just kind of continue doing that. To now that the season's wrapped up, try to get on hit on more and more teams. But hey, the SEC championship's right around the corner. We're gonna know bowl destinations for all 13 SEC teams here in a minute. Here in a couple of days we'll know that information on Sunday. We'll have assistant coaches moving, going left and right and up and down and all over the country. Recruiting is heating up. Uh, the signing day is uh, roughly two and a half weeks away, I believe. So. Man, things, there's a lot, to lot to talk about here in the coming days and weeks. And as long as there's there's content to discuss, we're going to keep coming at you with the news. So I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one.